A.W. Tozer, one of my favorites, um, commented one year, um, said, so necessary is the church of a lofty concept of God that when the concept in any measure declines, the church with her worship and her moral standards declines along with it. The first step down of any church is taken when it surrenders its high opinion of God. I'm preaching through a series called Recapturing the Majesty and the Holiness of God. And one of the things I shared was, you know, there is an atheistic mindset that has infiltrated the contemporary church. Mankind, the human being, has now become, has now replaced God. It is man that has become the master of his fate. He's become the captain of his soul, as the poem Invictus says. But what we do is what churches have done is they've added a little sprinkling of Christianity into it. Man calls on God when needed. God God responds obediently to man's requests and supplies man with a great life on earth. That's Christianity today. The living, holy, transcendent God has now become subordinate to the highly exalted man. As a matter of fact, many churches are very guilty today of of, uh, Romans 1.22, professing to become wise, they become fools, and they exchange the glory of an incorruptible God for the image in the form of a corruptible man. And churches following this heresy have moved from seeker-friendly to sinner-friendly. And worst of all, there's no room for a holy, righteous, sin-hating God and a majestic God. R.C. Sproul makes a statement that I absolutely love. He says, a God who is all love, all grace, all mercy, no sovereignty, no justice, no holiness, no wrath, is an idol. And I agree very much with that. So what I want to do is take a look at particularly Isaiah 6.3. And as the scripture had read, and one cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Note that the angels cry out one to another. They're doing this in an antiphonal song, meaning one says, the other responds. One says, the others respond. And you notice the thing that they do cry out about God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, you might think that the three-time reference may be related to the triunity or the trinity of God, but also when a phrase is repeated once or twice or three times, it stresses the importance. If you think of the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever he had to make an important point, he would say, verily, verily, I say unto you, listen up, something important is coming, is what Jesus was saying. So here we see that the emphasis on God's holy holiness is echoed with a tremendous thundering. It's not holy is the Lord, it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The other thing you may want to take a note at, um, take a note of, is also if you look in that verse, the word Lord is in all caps, which is the name of God, which is Yahweh. In verse one, uh, in the vision, it says uh, Isaiah says, "I saw the Lord," in it's capital L, lowercase. And if you look at it a little further, we don't have time to do it here. 
Um, that refers to God, the sovereign one, and that is Adonai. But now as the angels antiphonally sing, they go, I saw, you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And I want, I want you to notice something. Notice that they did not cry out that God is love, love, love. And they didn't cry out that God is mercy, mercy, mercy. And they didn't cry out that God is righteous, righteous, righteous. Of all the attributes of God, what did they cry? They cried out that God is holy. And you know, there's going to come a day, it's going to be a great day, where we too will join in that antiphonal song, the believers in Christ. And we too will be in glory crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, holy is one of those words in Christendom that everybody thinks they know, but they don't understand. What does it mean? What does the word there holy means? Well, plain and simple, it means that God is sacred, that God is sacred. So in what way is God sacred? And there's two ways in particular. Number one, God is separate. God is unique. He's unique in his essence. He's unique in his very nature. God is unique in that he is unlike any other created being. God is unique and God is separate from sin and God is separate from any outside influences. God is pure, not only because God has no sin, but God cannot know sin or be tempted to commit sin. So God is separate. He is separate in this thing. The second thing is God is majestic, the word of God tells us, in holiness. He is majestically unique, and God's majesty is one of a kind. That's a good way to remember it. God's majesty is one of a kind. His purity, his moral purity, his ethical purity is unique to God alone. God is the creator, and in holiness, he created all there is in purity and in truth. Now, here's the key point. Because God is holy, therefore what God decrees, what God says, is to be regarded as holy, sacred, sacred. And it's righteous and it's true. And only a holy God could demand of his creatures holiness. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Peter quotes and he says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God's people are to be distinct. God's people are to be separate. God's people are not only to be separate unto the Lord, but God's people must consider God as sacred and what God decrees as holy, which is why we should always have a reverence for the word of God, which is why we shouldn't just talk about, oh, you know, I read the Bible. We have God's word in front of us. God speaks through his word, a holy, sacred and sanctified word. Brothers and sisters, 
believers in Christ, and this is the most awesome thing I could imagine, but believers in Christ serve a holy, majestic, righteous, living God who is perfect in all of his ways, righteous in all of his deeds, impervious to outside influences, acts according to his own will, whose every decision and declaration are perfect, who knows no impurity in sin, who dwells in unapproachable splendor, whose glory fills the earth and fills the heavens. I want you to stop for a moment and think of all the times you hear references to God. Do you think of God in that manner? Do you think of God that glorious, that majestic, that spectacular? Listen, God who one day, every believer in Christ, those who trusted themselves by grace and faith, to the finished work of Christ on the cross, and this really gets me, we will worship God unhindered, unveiled, face-to-face, in purity, in holiness, made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ. Believers will gather with the saints of old and all the believers who have gone before us and with gazing eyes upon the glorious one with heads bowed and hands raised, with emotions exploding within us and exploding without us. Believers will all cry out with the seraphim and with the saints that have gone before in every created thing saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. What a day that's going to be. What a fantastic, spectacular, amazing day. As a matter of fact, it's so amazing, we cannot apprehend its glory. John caught a glimpse of this in 1 John 3, 2. He said this, beloved, now we are the children of God. Just stop and think about that. We are indeed the children of God. And it it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Do you have that hope fixed on him? Do you have that hope? Do you anticipate? As the psalmist says in Psalm 63, do you search for him in a dry and weary land where there is no water? Or as the Lord Jesus said in the Beatitudes, do you hunger and thirst? For Christ, two of the strongest physiological responses. Church, God's holiness is just not a static attribute of God. What I mean, something that is just taught in theology classes. God's holiness is at the essence of our faith. It is at the essence of our faith. Every other attribute of God ties itself to the holiness of God. For example, God's righteousness is perfect righteousness. It is not arbitrary righteousness. It is not situational righteousness like we see in the world. God's mercy is perfect mercy because because of God's holiness and God's intolerance of sin. God's anger is perfect because God is holy. Therefore, God is righteous in his anger. God's anger is not capricious, anger like that of a human being, because as human beings, our anger is always tainted by pride and self-interest. 
Yet God's anger is holy, righteous, and just. And God's love is perfect love, without sin, without partiality. When God loves, he loves perfectly. God's love is not, and I can't emphasize this enough, God's love is not tolerance of all sin. That's not God's love, as the world would claim. God's love is so perfect that God can offer his son, Jesus Christ, as an atonement for sin. And when God offers salvation to the repentant sinners, he is able to forgive every transgression, make them new in Christ. And to those who come to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus, our God is holy and majestic. Now, lastly, you might be asking, okay, I get it. What does this have to do with me? Harris Reedhead was a great American preacher in the 20th century, and he made this phenomenal statement. If I had my way, I would declare a moratorium on public preaching of, quote, the plan of salvation in America for two years. Then I would call everyone who has use of the airway and the pulpits, preach the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and the law of God, until sinners would cry out, what must I do to be saved? Brothers and sisters, we must continue to pray that God would send revival, and we must hold on to, at all costs, the holiness of God and the high view of God. For revival to come to churches, we do not need better technique, and we do not need political movements, and we do not need better music or better buildings or more educated ministers. Lord knows we have that in abundance. For revival to come back to the churches, we need a praying people to recapture the holiness and the majesty of God. Then we will see God as he is. Then there will be a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit. Then God would be pleased with his people and his church, and God will move in the hearts and lives of believers again. To God be the glory for the great things that he has done. Praise the Lord.